Dr. Harry Ironside was a uh, preacher and teacher uh, at the beginning half of uh, the last century. And he was once convicted uh, about his lack of humility. Um, and a friend recommended to him a remedy. I have shared this before. Uh, and his remedy was that he marched through the streets of Chicago wearing a sandwich board, shouting uh, scripture verses against pride uh, and writing them on the board for all to hear and see. Uh, Dr. Ironside agreed to this plan and he walked the streets of Chicago with this uh, sandwich board uh, reciting verses about the dangers of pride. And eventually he returned back to his home and he sat down in his study. And as he uh, removed the board, he said to himself, I bet there's not another man in town who would do that. <laughs> you can see the problem of pride and the uh, battle that we probably all have uh, to some extent with it and how to be humble. Although I say that, and perhaps that's not the case. Perhaps you do feel this morning that you are a humble person. I think deep down, really all of us do think we're humble, at least more humble than the next person, perhaps. But in these verses, the Apostle Peter, more importantly, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter, uh, teaches us what true humility is. Uh, did you notice what it said in verse 5? At the end of verse 5, Peter says, Be clothed with humility. Peter, writing to the whole church, he says, believers, people who are trusting in Christ, people who have, their, who have had their sins washed away by Christ, should be clothed with humility. Uh, in a sense, it should be their chief characteristic that they are clothed with humility. For, as Peter says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God is against proud people. He is fighting against pride. But he fights on behalf of those who are humble. Those who are faces are towards him and not against. And in these verses, as I say, Peter teaches us what true humility looks like. And if we're humble people, we need to listen to what Peter says. Not to assume what humility is, but to listen to what God tells us humility is. Because uh, I think especially being British, I think we have a kind of a, uh, a slightly wrong view of humility sometimes. Uh, we think humility is merely modesty. And as a culture, we are quite self-deprecating, aren't we? Uh, we don't like it on the sports events when we see the, the brash Americans um, for example, 
there's others, uh, who uh, will point to themselves and say how great they are and how wonderful they are, and they'll, they'll have pride in their national identity. And we, generally speaking, have a kind of aversion to that. We like to do ourselves down, and we don't like to promote ourselves. But that really isn't of the essence of humility, because you can do all that. You can be modest on the outside and yet deep down underneath be motivated by pride. You can be proud even as you are modest. And you can be proud of your modesty. So what does God say? What does God say humility is? And in these verses, verses 5 to 7, we're told essentially uh, three things that humility is, um, what humility looks like in three different instances. Now, we're going to look at those uh, one at a time this morning, and trustfully by the end, uh, we'll know what it looks like to be clothed with humility. Now, let's start with uh, the beginning of verse 5. In verse 5, just after Peter has instructed elders, church leaders, to govern well and for the right reasons. He says in verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Peter says, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, when Peter says elders, he is in part thinking of the fact that younger people should have a respect for older people. Uh, Old people have lived longer. They have had more experience. They've made more mistakes than you have, and they have learned from them. And so younger people should submit and respect older people. Uh, But primarily here, when he refers to elders, he's referring to church leaders, just as he's been speaking of in the opening four verses. And so Peter's words apply to all of us to some degree or another, young or old, in that Peter says we must submit to those who God has put in positions of authority over us, especially in the church. Now, it's important to make clear what Peter does not mean here. Otherwise, we could get the wrong end of the stick. Uh, Peter is not saying that we have to agree with every decision leaders in the church make. That'd be impossible. Uh, You can't force people to agree with something that they just don't agree with. That's not what Peter means. Uh, He doesn't even mean that we mustn't voice disagreements when uh, a decision is being made which we think is in the wrong direction. Uh, We can speak up respectfully. Uh, That is not what Peter's saying That is not what Peter says submission is. Uh, It doesn't even mean we necessarily have to obey in every single instance. Uh, The reason for that is because God is our chief authority. And if people in authority, whether they be church leaders or any position of authority, if they go contrary to what God says then we have to say we're going to follow God and not man. 
if church leaders are disobeying God and they're clearly turning against what God's word clearly teaches, then the time perhaps has come to leave that church because it is a church it is a church heading off the edge of a cliff it's an army heading for disaster we must serve god rather than men so it doesn't necessarily even mean we must obey in every single instance but what does it mean what does it mean to submit to your elders at what bottom what it means is that When a decision doesn't go the way we want it to, when a decision is made which we do not agree with, then we mustn't throw our toys out of the pram and decide, well, if that's the way you want it, then you won't have my support. That is the opposite of submission. Submission is saying... I don't like this path. It's not the path I would have gone down. But I'm not in charge. I don't have authority. I'm going to follow where you lead. And that's an incredibly rare virtue in our society. Uh, The virtue of being able to say, it's not what I want, but I'm going to go the way you say because you are in the position of authority that's what humility looks like recognizing where authority is where god has given it and following accordingly understanding that maybe just maybe you might be wrong just maybe there's a reason why god has not given you the authority but has given it to someone else. Uh, I always laugh, I remember someone once saying, isn't it strange how all the people who can actually run this country are sitting in pubs um, whining about the way it is being governed? It's a shame, isn't it? Uh, If only all those people who complain about the way things are going, if only they were in authority. But humility understands that the danger And the disunity that comes from rebelling and standing against authority is nearly always more destructive than simply submitting to whatever decision has been made, even if that decision turns out to be wrong. Does that make sense? It's more destructive to wave your fist at authority in almost every instance than it is to simply submit humbly to a decision that has been made. And that's what Peter says first, humility looks like. He says, submit yourselves to your elders. Submit to those who are in positions of authority. That is the humble position. He doesn't stop there. Uh, He continues. Uh, Keep reading. Verse 5, from the middle onwards. He says, yes... All of you be submissive to one another. All of you be submissive to one another. Uh, Submitting to elders uh, is about being willing to not have things go our own way and willing to lead, to follow where they lead. 
but submitting to one another is about putting the interests of someone else, particularly other believers, above our own. Uh, Peter's saying exactly what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. In those verses, Paul wrote, he said, Let nothing, nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Humility is choosing to use your life as a pedestal for others. Humility is choosing to serve rather than be, think about how you can be served. That's a pretty good definition of what humility is. Humility is taking the position of a servant. It's what Jesus Christ Uh, himself did wasn't it he was lord of all he is lord of all he's existed from eternity past to eternity future he rules the universe always has done and always will and yet he washed his disciples feet he took the position of a servant he put others interests above his i mean we learned that last sunday evening didn't we Uh, Those of us who were here, uh, we saw how in Gethsemane, Jesus said to his father, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to that cross, not because he deserved to, but because we deserved to, and he took the punishment instead of us. Jesus wasn't motivated purely by what was best for him, but he chose what was in the interests of, firstly, his father, and secondly, all of us. That's amazing to ponder, isn't it? Jesus put our interests above his own, and yet how difficult (laughs) we find that to do for each other, to put the interests of other people above above our own. Remember, it's it's not saying that we must always put other people's desires Uh, we must always serve other people's desires that's not what Peter's saying sometimes people want bad things Uh, Jesus didn't serve his disciples desires he wasn't a servant in the sense of doing everything his disciples wanted oftentimes he didn't do what his disciples wanted but he always acted in their best interests And that's what we ought to do as well. Christ has done so much for us to give us the wonderful gift of salvation, which we cannot earn, we can only receive as a gift. But in the overflow of the gratitude of that, the least we can do is serve others in a feeble, imitatory way. There was once a a fourth century Christian who was called Gregory, and he lived in uh, Cappadocia, which is a region uh, which is now modern Turkey. And his older brother uh, arranged for him to serve in a small, obscure, and unimportant town called Nyssa, 
Ever heard of Nyssa? Well, perhaps you have, but uh, this man, Gregory, wasn't keen on the idea, and he objected. Uh, he didn't want to be stuck in some out-of-the-way backwater, which nobody had heard of and nobody cared about. But his brother told him that he didn't want Gregory to gain honour from his church where he served, but he wanted the church that he served to gain honour from him. And Gregory eventually went to where he was placed, and he stayed there, uh, I believe, for the rest of his life. And his lifetime of work is still read and appreciated by Christians across the globe to this day, and he's known as Gregory of Nyssa. If you've never heard of him, you can Google him. And some of the uh, greatest works in uh, church history were written by Gregory of Nyssa. But it started by him willing to submit, to serve others rather than merely serve himself. It was a Christ talk, wasn't it? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Don't look at life trying to see what you can squeeze out of it, but look to see how you can serve others. That's what um, President Kennedy said long before my time, but not before the time of some here. Uh, President Kennedy, in a famous speech, once said to his, uh, I forget where it was, but he said, uh, think not what this country can do for you, but think what you can do for your country. And how much more true should that be for God's country, for God's kingdom? Don't be thinking about what God can do for you primarily or think what other Christians can do for you, what they should do for you, the way they should serve you and help you and support you. Primarily think, what can you do for the church? What can you do for others? Take the position of a servant and submit to one another. That's the second way, Peter says, we clothe ourselves in humility. We submit to our elders, those in authority over us. But secondly, we submit to one another. We serve one another in imitation of how Christ served us. But you might be thinking, that's, that's too much to ask. Uh, what will happen if I live that way? Uh, Will I be trampled over? Do my desires mean nothing? Do my needs mean nothing? If I have to spend my life serving the needs of others, who's going to look after me? And that verse, what Peter says there, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, can be terrifying. That can be a terrifying thought because when you think about it, the reason why most of us aren't humble in this way isn't merely because we're selfish, though we are. We're all selfish to some degree or another. When you really dig down into it, the reason we're not humble is because we're afraid. We're terrified of living in this way. We're terrified of what submission looks like. Because submission sounds like putting yourself under the power of someone else. 
It means relinquishing your desires and your needs. And that feels a very vulnerable position to be in. And because it's so vulnerable, very many many people are not willing to go down that path. They're not willing to serve others as Christ has served us. Well, fear not. Peter addresses that as well. Look at verse 6. Peter says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. This is the third way we show humility. Casting all our care on God. When God says submit to one another, serve those in authority and submit to one another, he doesn't say you're on your own. He says do not be afraid. I'm watching over you. I am watching and caring for you. So we do not need to be afraid if we are seeking to serve him. Uh, one of my cousins, uh, when he was not quite a baby, maybe a bit older than a toddler, a uh, young child, uh, he was swimming in a swimming pool and he went on a water slide in Oasis in Bedfordshire where I used to live. And uh, at the bottom of this slide there was a fairly deep pool, deep for him at that stage anyway. And as my youngest cousin hit the water, uh, he started to panic because he couldn't feel the bottom. He started to thrash and to um, uh, desperately try to find a foothold in this um, relatively deep water. And his older brother, uh, my other, other cousin, uh, was coming down the slide after him. And as he sploshed into the water, he could see that his younger brother was in trouble. And he was panicking, and naturally he sought to help him. But his brother started to thrash all the more and cling to his brother, his older brother. And no matter how much he tried to, the, uh, the older brother tried to help his younger brother, because the younger was so panic-stricken and thrashing around so much, he couldn't help him. And I think my uncle in the end had to come and rescue them both. But you see how the younger brother, in that situation, in his thrashing, in his panic, was actually causing more problems than he was solving. And that's a good illustration of what anxiety is like in our lives. We clutch and we fret and we panic because of the situations in our lives And we don't do what Peter says. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The best thing my youngest cousin could have done in that situation was simply have trusted that his older brother knew what he was doing, that he was stronger than he was, that he was bigger than he was, he could swim better than he could And the best thing he could have done was simply cast his burden onto his brother. Instead, he clutched at it to himself. He thought he had to thrash. He thought he had to worry. He thought he had to get himself out of this situation, even as he clung to his brother. And that's exactly what we do when we're anxious, when we fret, 
when we worry. We fret because fundamentally we do not trust that God has it under control. Did you notice what Peter said in verse 6? He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. If your desire is to serve him, if your chief desire is to listen to what God has to say, if you make that your chief anxiety, if we can call it that, then you have nothing else to fear because he is mighty and he will take care of the rest. He will, as Peter puts it, exalt you in due time. You don't have to worry about what you will lose as you submit to others because God is watching over you and nothing will happen to you that is outside of God's control. I had another story about a girl who was taking a judo exam and she told her instructor for the exam that uh, she had butterflies in her tummy. You know that feeling? Uh, That horrible, fluttery feeling of anxieties in her stomach. And her instructor told her, that's okay. You just need to teach your butterflies to fly in formation. (laughs) And that's in essence what Peter's teaching all of us here. He says, cast your care upon him. Teach your anxieties where they should go. Uh, It's no good saying to someone, is it, when they're anxious, uh, don't be anxious, (laughs) don't be afraid. I know, I've struggled with anxiety all my life. And it's completely unhelpful for someone to say to you, don't be afraid, don't be anxious. It doesn't work. Uh, We would love not to be anxious, wouldn't we? But we can't just drop it at the asking. What we need to do is train our minds to understand what is most important. And as we do that, then eventually our anxieties get into formation. Because the real cure for anxiety is what Peter says after cast all your care upon him. That's the hard work. That's the difficult work. That's the work of training our minds. But the cure is the next four words. Verse 7, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's the cure for anxiety. If we can let that truth sink deep into our souls that God really does care for us, then that teaches our anxieties to get into their proper place. Because understanding that God cares for us teaches us that you or I are not going to die a second sooner than God wants us to. Your family is not, nothing bad is going to happen to your family a second sooner than God intends for it to happen. We can rest in that. Now, obviously, 
Uh, We can pray to him and we can ask him. We can pour out our hearts with our requests to him for the life of our family, our friends and everything else. But we don't need to be anxious about it because God has it all under control and he loves us. He cares for us. He wants our good, our ultimate good, more than we do. That's the thing which has helped me most uh, in my uh, battles against anxiety in my life. Uh, Understanding that God wants his will for my life more than I do. Does that make sense? God wants his will for your life more than you do. And God's will for our lives is the best thing that we can have. Our problem is that we don't trust that. We don't believe that. And we clutch it for ourselves. That's where anxiety comes from. We clutch it to ourselves and we think that what we want matters most when what matters most is what God wants. And if only we knew it, That's where true happiness lies. It doesn't necessarily lead to an easy life, but it leads to the best life. And if your desire, first and foremost, is to do God's will, if your desire, first and foremost, is to listen to what he has to say and do what he wants with your life, then you can rest assured Everything else he has got more than taken care of. And you do not need to be anxious. That's what it means to cast all your care upon him. For he cares for us. That's the third and final way in this passage. Peter says to clothe ourselves in in humility. Put Christ in first place. Put God in first place. And then cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. So first, to clothe ourselves with humility, we need to listen and submit to those God has put in authority over us. Secondly, we need to submit to one another, serve one another, instead of merely thinking how they can serve us. And lastly, train our mind to cast all our anxiety on God, teaching our butterflies to fly in formation, relying on the knowledge that God cares for us. I just want to close with a final story I heard about uh, a construction crew who were building a new road uh, through a rural area, and uh, they were knocking down trees as they progressed. And the superintendent noticed that there was one tree which had a nest of birds within it. And so he marked that tree not to be destroyed, not to be cut down by the bulldozer. Uh, Several weeks later, the superintendent came back to the tree and he got into a bucket or the tractor and uh, was hoisted up to the tree where the nest was so that he could peer into it. And he discovered the fledglings were gone and they had obviously flown the nest. And so he ordered the tree then to be cut down. But as the tree crashed to the ground, the nest fell clear. And some of the material that the birds had used to build the nest was scattered round about. 
And amongst it was a little scrap torn from a Sunday school pamphlet. And on the scrap of paper were the words, He cares for you. And the lesson was this. If that superintendent, a sinful human being, could have enough care and compassion for a bird, a nest of birds, that he prevented those bulldozers from knocking down that one tree, how much greater care do you think God has for us? How much greater care do you think God has for us as we seek to serve him and do his will? What did Jesus say? We're of greater value than many sparrows. So don't be afraid to be humble. Don't be afraid to submit to authority. Don't be afraid to serve others. Instead, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. And that's why I've chosen as our final hymn, a hymn which expresses that exact thought. Number 93, through all the changing scenes of life, in trouble and in joy, the praises of my God shall still my heart and tongue employ. And I've chosen it particularly for verse 6. Fear him, ye saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. Make you his service, your delight, your wants shall be his care. So we'll close by singing number 93.